Artscape is produced on the traditional Coast Salish territories of the Songhees Lekwungen speaking peoples and the Husanich Sinchothan speaking peoples. Sina should date a city up to each other. Artscape is a production of CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria and is made possible with the generous support from the BC Arts Council. Bye 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 Murayad, bye 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 till Now in its third season, Artscape seeks to investigate the diverse arts and culture landscape around us. Oh, it was! Ooh, elle allait un. It was! Celle-là peut-être. Et celle-là en dessous? Non! My name is Miyoko, and today I want to ask you do you know where your roots are? Are you sure? Or would you like to discover a puzzle piece about yourself? In our language, you can hear the sound of the land. You can hear the sound of the wind, the rivers. the breathing of the plants. What is language? What if you couldn't speak your language? What would you leave behind? What would you keep inside, silent? These are some of the questions I asked the Mokleton, Sinchothin teacher and language advocate at Tlewalno Tribal School in the South of Vancouver Island and Dr. Lorna Williams, linguist and professor emeritus in indigenous knowledge, education and revitalization of languages at the University of Victoria. My Sintrothan name is Astamachalton. I'd received my name, I was about 12 years old and it was given to me by my late grandmother. And um, my English name is Ian Sam, it is just, just like anybody else was given to me at birth. And it was a name that my uh, my mom and dad picked for me in this new English world that we live in, I suppose. Yeah. Lorna Williams is my name in English. The language that I speak is Lilwetul, which is spoken north of Whistler. And um, I said, my name is Wanossa, which is my Lilwet name. And I said that my family and community are in Lilwet Ul. The language, um, it kind of, it kind of found its found its way to me. I think <laughs> I couldn't go back to say that I wanted to be a language teacher when I was a kid, kind of thing. So. I was actually pretty close to going into medical school when I was in high school, and uh, uh, yeah, a few things took place. I ended up in the hospital late in high school, which um, kind of diminished my career path towards uh, the medical field. 
because I attended residential school and lost my capacity to communicate for a time and then relearned, I came to understand things about language that I probably wouldn't have understood had I not had that experience. I became ill when I was in residential school and I ended up being in the hospital for four months. And being in a hospital, away from my family, away from my community, I learned English. But then I got brought back here to do some um, some upgrading, I guess you could call it, and some post-secondary work. Um, and they offered a Centrothan program here. And I, I enrolled in the Centrothan program, and it was kind of like riding a bike, I guess. I picked up where I left off before high school, and... Um, I got recommended to become a sub for the school to teach the language, and um, from from there on, I kind of took to wanting to become a teacher. So, and I spent a lot of time with uh, a few elders that that are they, they've passed on over the last few years now, and that's that's given me a big admiration to kind of carry on what they've taught me. And a big part of my role now is I've dedicated my life to being an advocate for my language, and not only in the school, but in our community as well. And so at a very young age, I became, when I went back home, I was bilingual. And at that time, there were not many people who were bilingual. And so oftentimes, when people wanted needed to go to the doctor or to a lawyer or to you know, talk to some professional, they would take me along with them so that I could translate for them, interpret for them. And so I think that's where my whole um, journey in language revitalization and also, I think, in understanding Indigenous knowledge came from. Um, as a lot of people hear of it as being Saanich today, so the name Saanich... Um, derived from from our our nation, which is the Xhetnich nation, so that's where the name Sanich comes from. Sanjathan, I guess it was pretty close to being anglicized as well. So the name Sanjathan was uh, a name of like a Sanich Sanich voice. I guess that's what you're saying in the language when you say Sanjathan. The name of the school here is Llewelnuch uh, Tribal School. It's been open now for about 30 years, um, maybe maybe a bit longer, closer to 40 now, I guess. Um, we're now hosting um, immersion programming, which um, has our students learning exclusively in our language. I got real I got real I got I assist with the language in three of the immersion classes where I would be a language support, so I would kind of um, 
help along with the lessons that they're doing with the students, whether it be a math lesson or a, um, a writing writing lesson. I would be there as encouragement for the students as well as for the teachers that are hosting the classes. So I'll help them get rid of any, they'll know a word in English, but they won't know how to translate it into our language. So that's kind of where I step in to say, well, this is how we express that. And uh, for the other three, so I'm in six different classes. So with the other three classes, um, my role in those ones are, I guess, exposure to Sanchothan. I kind of bring Sanchothan into their classroom where they're being taught in English. And um, my role is to bring the language into their, into their day, I guess. In the early 70s, my community was the second community in all of Canada to take over the administration of our school. And we had an opportunity to design school for our people where schooling and education would make sense. And one of the things that our community said that they wanted from school is to make sure that our language wouldn't die. And they also wanted the children, our children, to know their history. And they wanted also, through school, our relationship with the land to be maintained. And so we built those into, into school. And, um, and my community hired me to be the director of the cult our cultural center and gave me the task of developing the curriculum for our language from preschool to adult. And so I did that with, along with a team of people. We developed uh, not just, not only language curriculum, but also our history and other uh, curriculum materials about ourselves that, that we wouldn't be able to find anywhere else. Um, there's a big number of families in our community um, a lot of them struggle with the use of the language at home. So um, my, my role, as long as, uh, is, well, alongside with all of our other language teachers, is to try and help our kids find their identity. That's a really big thing, living in such a divided world. Um, one perspective that I've, I've learned from being Kwilnuk, as we call a First Nations person, um, is that we live in two different worlds. So we teach them life skills, um, like being able to look after a family, look after a home and a vehicle and paying our bills and just like anybody else. But that's aside from being able to teach them about who they are as a Quilnoch person. So learning their language is only a, a fraction of what we'd learn as Quilnoch people in our community. Um, so that's along with learning about what they belong to in their culture and what their family belongs to culturally and um, the laws and the, the values that we have in respect and the values that we have in growing as a human being in our community is um, it's it's a whole different it's a whole different world really. Exhalation E N Quang Quang Sen E M A P T A Quang Sen E 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 Quang Sen E
shark tummy. The, the cube. My areas of work at, at the university, so that was the, at the end of my professional career, was in uh, indigenous knowledge, indigenous education, and the revitalization of languages, of indigenous languages. And the title of the course that we designed for teachers um, is called is from the Sanchathan word Eltelnihut, which I learned from John Eliot. Um, and I chose that word and not one from my language because teaching and learning, we don't have a word called education. We have a word that describes kind of the the function of teaching and learning. And so eltilnicht means that the is the idea that we support and help people to become a whole human being. And I chose that word because in my travels around the world, that's I kept asking indigenous people around the world what their word for education was and I and I kept getting a very similar answer. And so this idea of preparation to be to be a whole human being, yeah, I have to you have to really think about what that entails. Like what does that mean then? Like it's it's a huge responsibility for us as adults, as parents, you know, as um teachers, as significant members of our own communities you know to, what the work that our work to prepare the next generation all i'm really trying to do is help our children gain a glimpse of that and to try and have them um, learn more about themselves and to be able to grow up as a holistic person um, our role as centrothan teachers is mainly to help them find that identity and to find out where where they can go and what they can do with their lives so um, I'd like for it to be dominantly cultural side of them and to learn more about who they are as a Husaitnich person. That's, that's more important to me, aside from English. I mean, <laughs> um, English will come along, no, no problem at all for any, any child, but for them to grow up and learn about themselves and to learn their language and to learn about their, their own values and their laws as a Husaitnich person is going to be a lot more valuable for not only for the children but for our whole community.
to my own community and and thought about teaching and learning. And I based the course around those concepts. So one of them, um, one of the words is chilchil. And I chose this particular word because it's a word that um, I heard often growing up. And what it means is uh, one of the qualities that the people in my community really cherished in young people and watched for and helped us to develop is to know what our gifts are, to become familiar with what our strengths are, what we like to do, what our passions are, what our interests are, for us to know what those are. But they help us to know what those are, like as we are growing up. And then to take, but it's really the fashioning or the development of the of the willingness to use those gifts that we have, those interests we have, those expertise that we develop in service for ourselves, but in service of our community, like to give freely. And so part of it also means when you're part of the of a community activity, for example, or a family commu- uh, activity, you know, you, nobody has to tell you what to do. Nobody directs you. You direct yourself to include yourself in, you know, whatever the activity is. And in grade schools and at universities, students aren't encouraged to be self-directed. They're students are directed by a higher authority and they have to fill a certain model. And so this concept of being is is um, really coming from a very different place. And so in the class, that's what I was, in, I explained what this term and said this was my expectation. And so so in every way, like whenever we met, um, they had they had to try to practice it, and it was very very challenging, very difficult for 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 them because they wanted me to tell them what exactly what it was that they were to do, but I wouldn't, and it was and it and for some it was, at the beginning it was very frustrating. A big portion of what we do share with the children is their connection to where they are. So that kind of goes hand in hand with teaching them about their identity. Um, but at the same time, to connect them with the things around us. So there, by by any means, did, did we ever teach our children um, in a classroom setting, pointing at a whiteboard, trying to teach them how to be Hussainich, I guess it just seems so silly to me. Um, the big thing that I want them to understand is that we lived outside and we've did, done all of these things um, and it had nothing to do with making money, had nothing to do with um, sustaining a, a job by any means. We were, were family-oriented, and all of our teachings were brought through our children orally. So we, I mean, we, we talk with them and we converse with them on being able to um, learn what their role is within our family. In, in our own culture, we all have a role in our family. 
um, back before before Canada ever existed, before um, before this new world is brought to us, it was more about um, our gatherers, our hunters, and our. Um, and I mean, there's like all kinds of different things that we were able to do um, for our community, and that identity has a big portion to do with our connection to the land and to our animals and to our plants, to our mountains, to our waters, our rivers and the ocean and everything around us. So, and that's a big portion that I try and instill with the children is our values and our connection to everything around us and in the outside world, I guess. So that's a big, a big portion of the way I want to teach is to be able to bring them outside and to show them the things that we can do outside and the things that we can do for our families, for that matter. Where did our languages come from? They come from the land and the spirit of the people. In the concepts in our language, it can describe really the essence of, of the plants and the animals and, and all that exists within our lands. When I was writing a social studies book for grade two, and my book was going to be the transition from um, grade one where they study family to grade two where they study community. You know, how do you bring people from the understanding of family to an understanding of community? And so I was thinking about this for quite a long time. And then I went back to our word our Litwet word for family is Nshnukwa, which is what I said earlier when I introduced myself. But that word is also describes community, and it describes friendships, and it describes a gathering of people, so people coming together for a common purpose. So when you think about that word, meaning all of those things, it has to lead you to, to, under, to a little bit better understanding of us and what we believe about ourselves and about our relationships. And so I was just so excited to understand that. So we don't separate family, community, friends, and gatherings of people. We don't separate those. And and then when I thought further to that word, our words are made up of roots and suffixes and prefixes. And when I thought about what the root is, the root word of that is to help. And so knowing that then helps us to understand in our world, that we would never really be able to describe or or help people to understand. And that's why language, I think, is really important. A lot of the elders that I'd learned the language from, they had a view on the world 
which weighed heavily on um, a fishing life or a hunting life. So there's words that we use for the tides going up and down in the waters, and there's words that we use for when we're um, when we're hunting. Some of them slowly diminished because we don't use them anymore, like such as shucking a clam or like um, when we're cutting a fish or when we're um, butchering up some of our meat, those kind of things. Because, I mean, having to go to the grocery store now and um, eating foods that are that are pretty foreign to us, I mean, we've never really, we never had chicken or beef or anything in our diet as Kusaitnich people. And going to the store to get these kind of things is a little bit different. I mean, I go from teaching the children not only about hunting and fishing and um, shucking clams and cutting fish, that kind of thing, from that to teaching them how to go buy it at the store. <laughs> That's another way where the language shifts a little bit. So the language changes or it alters somehow, and it changes the way we teach the children as well. All languages and cultures um, change. It's a natural process. But how do we cope with change? We cope with it by maintaining connection to our foundation. And it means maintaining our connection to our stories, and to our beginnings, and to our relationships. Although, yes, we live in a world where we've really been harmed, but that is, and uh, we can't lose sight of who we are and define ourselves only in those terms of destruction. I'm sitting in the point where I'm one of the first generation to speak English. So my parents and my grandparents all spoke our language when they were when they came into this world. So Sanchathan was was their their dominant language. So my dad and my mom they they were born speaking our language whereas myself um I was born speaking English because my parents were afraid they didn't they didn't want me to be punished for speaking my language. The um, the Indian Act that took place here in our community affected so much, so many of our people. Every community, every nation within southern Vancouver Island was affected by it. All families were divided. We were sent into these schools where we, we couldn't speak our language anymore and we couldn't practice our, our ways anymore. So there was all kinds of things that took place in our community that are still hidden. It's a bit of a black history now. And that's something that I really, I really want people to, I guess, just to become aware, to become aware of these things that, that happened within the history of um, Canada itself. That's something that we need to advocate, um, not in full detail by any means, but just so that people are aware of the trauma that took place in our community. And But furthermore, to kind of look into the the future goals that we have for our, in, in the recovery of our people, try and revitalize everything that we've, that we've carried as Kusaitnich people. Progressively, I guess, to just learn about the history, but at the same time be able to move past it and try and 
cooperatively create a better life for for not only our visitors such as yourself but for our own our own community as well so we can try and move forward together and try and move past it and try and find our identity again How about you? Where does your name come from? What's your story? What language, what culture do you belong to? Et toi? And what about me? What language, what culture do I belong to? Could I find it here in Victoria? Tu vas la manger maintenant À la maison pour le souper, ok Ah d'accord. Et la gosse aussi. Les bretons aussi, les corses aussi, l'Alsace aussi, tout le temps. Alors que tout le temps dans la France, c'est sympa, c'est très authentique. Et par exemple, vous, une chose vraiment. Moi, je répondais, je comprenais, oui, oui. Après, moi, j'arrive pas à faire de grandes phrases. Les Français, ils vont, même si c'est pas un ils vont avoid. Mais en même temps, ça, ça correspond bien au My name is Emmanuel uh, Herrick. Herrick is my last name. And interestingly enough, so I'm from France originally. I've been here a long time in Victoria. I teach uh, in the Department of French at the University of Victoria, but I specialize in language, anything related to language, and I call them the technical uh, matters of language. So, and, uh, so I'm from, um, you're from the uh, southwest, I'm from the northeast. So I might say different things from what you, you expect, but uh, northeast meaning that I was born in Alsace, which is the region bordering uh, Germany and Switzerland a bit too. And then uh, at age nine, about nine or 10, we moved to Lorraine, to the city of Nancy which is my base now, where I go back to. The, so I was from Alsace. I understand Alsatian, but I don't really speak it. I can try, but I don't really speak it, because I know German uh, beside, but it's different. And uh, so we were exposed to Alsacien. Uh, so naturally, you're exposed to it. You hear it, you see it. And uh, I do not know, I don't think that Alsatian is a, is a is an educational language it's not taught in school or used in school that i know of things may change you see but i don't think so uh, however in uh, everyday life it's really alive and well it's spoken it's used you go to cafes you hear it not everywhere not everyone but uh, alsatian is uh, is alive and kicking it's very strong very very strong alsatian <laughs> And in Lorraine, you have a language called uh, uh, so le Lorrain, uh, the Lorraine language, and it's a full-fledged language, and it's just dying. Why? Because people who speak it are a hundred years old. My name is Dominique Vosniak. I work for the French Society. Uh, I am responsible for the communication 
for them and uh, I am proud. I am proud to uh, um, to make French um, seen and uh, known in Victoria. I was born in Lorraine. It's in the uh, northeast of France at the border with Belgium and Luxembourg. Um, and uh, then I moved when I was 20, I, I moved um, to Paris uh, to work and to study too. And then um, 15 years later, I moved again to Canada and now I am in Victoria. I know that my great-grandparents were uh, speaking Le Lorrain, which is a, a specific language from uh, Lorraine. Uh, my, my grandmother um, sometimes spoke to me in Lorrain, so I'm able today to say some words. And when I'm tired, some words are coming back. And then I realize around me that people don't understand because it's a specific word <laughs> and nobody's using it. And um, I think so my mom was able to, to speak and understand, but it's just um, an everyday use of the language. So um, in a house, for example, or in a garden, stuff like that. But if you want to speak very deeply, uh, she was not able. Alors, Pierrot, hey. ça y écoute. Comment <rire> Salut, Pierrot. Salut, Maurice. Ça sait quoi, les faux Oh, ouais. Ah, ben, oh, ouais. C'est rare, hein, aujourd'hui. Ben, ouais, il m'approche. Et il y a des rosailles, quoi, ouais, ça quand même bien. Oui, un peu de rosailles, ouais, ça coupe quoi, à peu près. Et t'es ouais. trop bien, ça y Oh, ben, oui. T'es vous, il y a quoi, trop bien, ouais. Cette vie m'a dit, il y a quoi, il faut, toi, là T'es vous le, le gamin, là, il y a quoi, il faut s'y tenir à l'air Elle est au autre chose de faire. Je n'ai pas Oh, mais j'ai vu des remisous. Qu'est-ce que tu fais J'ai vu des remisous. Oh, c'est Non, mais les remisous, je de les Parce que les gens ont mis fait au coup de les Oui, oui. quoi dire je after Emmanuel and Dominique, I met Manu Courtois, who's from a region of France called the Basque Country. It's in the very southwest of France, at the border of Spain and on the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. My first name uh, is Basque. It means in French would be Emmanuel and in Spanish would be Manuel, but in Basque is Manu. And my last name um, is uh, Creole from Réunion Island because my dad is from there. But my mother's name is Mushika, which means music in Basque. Where I'm from, we basically learn uh, Basque pretty much uh, as soon as French, or maybe sometimes even before. It depends, you know, of your family. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a countryside with uh, all the family around me. So my grandparents, my parents, my uncle. Everybody speak Basque, like, it's almost you don't have a choice. So, like, yeah, it's, it's a part of our everyday life. So, in the stalls, you have, you may have, depends on the stalls, but yeah, you may have a chance to, 
to to find someone who speak basque everywhere everywhere yeah yeah e- even your family doctor or e- everywhere yeah yeah I also met with Simon Delors, who's from a region of France called Auvergne, in the southern center of the country. His parents happened to be visiting him, so we all gathered and talked about their root language, Auvergne. Alors, mes parents me parlaient en français, mais entre eux, ils parlaient en patois. Simon's father, Jean-Luc, is saying that as a kid, he would hear his parents speak Auvergne together and with their own parents. But they would speak in French to him and his siblings. He really learned and spoke Auvergne when he would work on farms as a young man. As Jean-Luc says, it's dying language, although he showed me a recent newspaper article in the language trying to revive people's interest in it. As for me, my family name is Kobe. It comes from the southwest of France. It's a name in Occitan language. I think my great-great-grandparents were the last to be fluent in it. I know that today it really depends on the families whether people speak Occitan or not. I learned that Occitan is one of the most spoken old languages in France, and the local politics support its development through the Occitan culture, arts, media, and education. Radio País. Radio País. La situation politique en Catalogne, la pollution en question à lac en terre biarnaise, la santé de la langue d'oc en autogarouna, uterotrem dissate en terre bigourdana et au dimeniade des sports d'abla sexu pauline des heita à cause contre Montpellier, a dit à tous à qui ou l'ustitus du boste journal de la dilus 30 d'octobre.
Radio País. Mais est-ce que ta langue est l'occitan? But is my language occitan? Ou est-ce que c'est le français? Or is it French? Someone who identifies himself or herself as a Basque. In Basque, we call it Euskal Duena, which means the one who speaks Basque. So technically, if you don't speak Basque, you're not Basque. Another thing about Alsatian is very interesting is that uh, Alsace and Lorraine, as it's called Alsace-Lorraine, part of what Alsace and Lorraine are today, were um, under German rule between 1870 and 1918, you see, at the end of World War I. Now, French people from Alsace had a wrenching, you know, decision to make, to leave or stay. Stay French, but leave? Or stay? but become German. It was atrocious. And it divided families and brothers and sisters. It was awful, really an awful choice to make. Anyway, the people who left were called les Français de l'intérieur. They became Français de l'intérieur, you see. And uh, those, who stayed, um, those who stayed in Alsace to live and become German, they actually used Alsatian dialect as a weapon of survival. The last thing they would want to speak is, was German. The last thing. So never say to an Alsatian that they speak German. It's because it's, it's, it still is a sensitive point to this day. So you see, Alsatian was kept alive for those reasons, I believe. Que sais-tu de l'histoire de ta langue? What do I know about the history of my language? Que The king decided to uniform France, and to do that, to uniform a population, uh, you need to speak the same language and to write the same things too in the same language. So if everybody uh, is speaking its own language, it will not work. So we have to speak the same language. And as everybody, they didn't want to lose their language, but they had no choice. So to make a pretty long story short, French language was institutionalized from the 15th century on by the king and then reinforced by many events such as the French Revolution and the establishment of the state school. It's very simple. It's pure power. For example, the French Revolution uh, that uh, apparently many people admire was actually a reign of terror. People were not terrorized. They were massacred. And they were massacred for, uh, <laughs> we, sc we can speak about religion and language, but basically it was a matter of power, un uh, making the country uniform. I think that the uniformity of the French language, the sense of belonging uh, to a strong nation with a strong language comes from the French Revolution, you see. But people were, uh, they couldn't speak their dialects in, uh, in, in France at the time, in some regions, you see. So it was just awful. Just, just god-awful. And that's how you conduct a policy to create uh, a majority. Uh, uh, and then people look up at that majority and they want to belong. Also the school, which is power, school is power, university and school is power, um, state power, you see, a state decides to teach and bec it becomes a status, you see. Also this is connected to the word education, Education means, you see, it's, uh, it's from Latin, education, it means to lead out of some way. 
And the idea, you and I have French education, so it's strongly based on coercion, it's strongly based on negative statements, because you always are told that you shouldn't be where you are, that you're not doing what you do, that you shouldn't think what you think, that uh, it's deeply ingrained in the French education to uh, force somebody out of some evil natural ways, you see, away from something that's supposedly bad. It's very strong. What I heard from my grandparents, it's like at school they were obliged to speak French. So, you know, kind of repression was like, um, you know, if they were speaking Basque in class, they would have to put their finger together and the the teacher would come with a, I don't know you call that, or, you know, it, it was like, yeah, physical punishment. I don't know now, but I, I, my generation, it was kind of bully. You know, when you were going to school and you were speaking Basque with one or other kids, because not everybody would speak Basque. Uh, yeah, you were kind of bullied, you know. People were, yeah, making fun at you all. You are of the countryside, you are a farmer, you are blah, 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 you know. But that never put me down. Yeah, for me, it always has been a... I was proud. You know, I don't know, being Basque and, and speaking Basque, like I, I never been shame of it. And I think I think it's going to be tough for you to find a Basque with, with shame of being Basque. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when the state school was established at the end of the 18th century, the objective was to use it to force the kids to learn French and to forget about their language by using repression. Unfortunately, because of the French, uh, the Lorrain could only be spoken at home, no more in school, and also in all the administrations. It's a vision of the world. A language is a vision of the world. And as you know, everybody has a vision of the world, and they don't always concur. So, uh, which leads to untranslatable words, and the reality is not shaped, modeled the same in people's minds. And that is why when you learn a language, I like languages, not so much for languages, but because it's like a yoga of the mind. You bend yourself into another shape, and it's a fascinating exercise of pliability of the mind. It's beautiful, and it's interesting. Quand on allait chez nos grands-parents, une fois par an, this is Simon Delors, whose parents were visiting in Victoria. He's explaining how, as a kid, his grandparents were teaching him little expressions in Auvergne like With language, we can do a lot of things, which expresses the idea that you can talk and talk, but action is what makes a difference. And Simon's father, Jean-Luc, to add that those expressions hold the philosophies of the farmer's culture of Auvergne that the grandparents wanted to pass down to Simon and his sister. It's really interesting how um, the name of the villages are explaining the, the roots of the people there. Yeah, the name of the people too, they, they can tell from where they are. And that's really interesting if you want to know your roots. So um, this language, unfortunately, has been uh, um, lost. And, uh, 
and it's uh, it's hard. It's hard because uh, our roots now are broken. It's our roots. It's uh, what we used to do, what we used to uh, manage at home or how we cooked or how we uh, do stuff at home. And losing that these words, the way they are spoken, or so it means that uh, it's also a social thing lost. Mais c'est toute ma jeunesse en fait qui, à travers cette langue, qui revient, cette nostalgie de ma jeunesse, de cette campagne qui était belle, de cette ambiance. Jean-Luc is sharing about how his language holds his youth, the beauty of this countryside, the people always there for each other, always helping each other out for the haymaking, the harvest work, killing the pigs together, the village parties, all of which was communicated in Auvergne, and which charm disappeared with the language. Sometimes now I, I speak on Skype with my parents and when I am with them or when I have with my cousins at home, um, I, my, my accent is coming back because I have a, a, an accent from Lorraine and it's quickly coming back. 20 is uh, in Parisian language is 20, but in Lorraine it's 20. So that's a big difference. Because when I say vingt, in Paris, they don't understand. I met someone here in Victoria who is from Lorraine too. And when I knew that, I, I had sometimes a, a, yeah, to spell her a, a number or something. And I said tw 20, I said vingt. And that was enough to uh, make the link between us. Même avec euh, mon frère, il m'arrive encore de, de parler quelques mots en, en patois entre nous. When they speak the language together, Jean-Luc and his brother bond. He also shares about how his mother, who has dementia, doesn't know who Jean-Luc is for her anymore, nor reacts to French language. 
but lights up and responds when Jean-Luc small talks with her in Auvergne. So in order to have the link again and to be close to my mom, I am able to uh, to come back to my uh, Laurent accent and uh, speak a few words with her and just enough to uh, to have the, the heart link and it's a heart language. When I was a young woman, I heard a prophecy that was given to four nations on Turtle Island in North America. And in 1976, the descendants of the people who were given this prophecy traveled to different parts of North America and Vancouver was one of the sites to share the prophecy. And the prophecy that was handed down happened before the settlers came. And in this prophecy, it described what was going to happen, what the people here were going to have to face. And it talked about the darkness and the harm and the destruction. But there were people from prior to the settlers coming who were given in each generation the responsibilities of holding the knowledge. And in this prophecy, it said that there would come a time, and the time was around that uh, when they were traveling, it was time to bring our knowledge back to visibility. So it had gone underground, it had gone into darkness. It was now time to share. And that our responsibility was to share this knowledge in order to be able to save not just our spirit, but the spirit of the land and the spirit of all people. And so I think that that's probably that's the strength that keeps me going, knowing what my role is, what my function is, and that's a choice that I make, to give my energies um, and abilities to sharing our knowledge and making sure that young people, no matter what color they are, can know that they have to have histories and knowledges you know, that are born in them. 
that they carry within them. And one of the ways in which I keep that going, for example, I just became a new grandmother. And um, when my grandson was born, I asked my daughter to make sure that um, we didn't lose his belly button. And so when he was, uh, you know, a few weeks old, we brought his belly button home and my brothers uh, will take it out to the land. And so that way his spirit will always know his attachment to that land. And so in that way, we continue. We continue our ways and we continue respecting and honoring the relationships that we have. culture, history, and the way you see the world? And what about your tie to your land and your relationships? Thank you, Emmanuel Eric, Dominique Wozniak, Manu Courtois, Simon and Jean-Luc Delors. Thank you for showing me the way to my own roots. Thank you also to Marion Gladstone, principal of Clairwellno Tribal School, and to all the kids and teachers. The executive producer of Artscape is Katie Sage, and I'm Miyoko, the producer of this episode. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe to Artscape and leave a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Artscape has been made possible with the generous support of the BC Arts Council.